0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Happy Thanksgiving slash Korean Barbecue Day, Hayden. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Yeah, my friends and I were doing Korean barbecue. We had Friendsgiving on her side and we did traditional uh, Thanksgiving stuff and I already had my Thanksgiving with my parents. I have another Thanksgiving with her parents. So time for a little Korean barbecue mix that mix this up a little bit or or also be in biscuits and gravy hell for the next week.
0: <laughs> that was me when I was like 20 years old. Uh, if you can tell probably in the podcast, feed, but especially on the video feed, I am not At my usual location. You can probably tell that by this awesome portrait behind me of two cool kids. Where are those kids? The Island Boys? That's us. Me me and my brother. We're the Island Boys. It's the
1: the (laughs) first person you're actually tanner
0: then. Is that you than those pictures right now? (laughs) Yes, everyone go hop over to Underdog Fantasy's YouTube channel. So you can check out this cool backdrop that I have behind me. And how uncomfortable I look in this pose that I'm in as well. All right. You all know it. You all love it. In a moment, we're going to get to the fantasy usage model. Again, look at running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Talk about the performances, the stats they put up on Thursday, Sunday, and Monday, and see if it matched up with the game they actually put out and how they were used as well. Before we get there, yes, it is Thanksgiving, and we have three awesome tournaments up on Underdog Fantasy ahead of it. Three different battle royales, including the turkey Cranberry sauce. And the third one, Hayden, is the stuffing. Yes, the stuffing. All different sizes, all different prizes. Hayden, why don't you outline some of the details for us?
1: So the primary one that I want to talk about is a four-person snake draft where you're going to be drafting 24 people in general. It's a $50,000 tournament, and you have to draft a quarterback, a running back, two receivers, a tight end, and a flex. And there's some strategy elements to this. If you go over to Underblog. I have my rankings for it to me because there's a drop-off with quarterback play. Give me Josh Allen and Dak Prescott because I do not want to be starting Andy Dalton against those type of teams. You move Darren Waller way up because some of the other tight end options are kind of tricky. And then obviously lots of injuries that we'll go through today. But um, I think just in general, we're still going to be stacking in this DFS tournament. Uh, You want to have some correlation for sure. Uh, In the last round, find a low ownership dart throw. All the same DFS principles apply. I have the rankings up there. They're way different than the the way the lobby set up, which is just by projected points. So I think there's actually a lot of advantages and edges to be had in this DFS tournament. It's not a salary structured tournament that's been around for the last seven years where everyone's kind of got it figured out. This is a new one. There's not that much content to it. So I think it's a new way to get some uh, money down, get some sweat equity, uh, and at least give you an excuse, even if you're losing, to look at your phone and not uh, the in-laws or whoever
0: else. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, go and deposit anything if it is your first deposit, and we will match it. $10, $20, whatever, use promo code the show and go try out these Battle Royales. We'll get into more of them actually on the Wednesday episode around 1230 Eastern, we'll probably be live and go through a three-game preview of all of those Thanksgiving Day games. So be on the lookout for that, Okay, but this is everyone's favorite show, Aiden, and we're going to do our best, even though we're on the road, to make it just like normal, and we start off, again, the fantasy usage model with the running back position, and none other than Joe Mixon we're going to start off with near the top, running back four in fantasy usage, 30 carries this past weekend for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Game was actually pretty tight despite the scoreboard towards the end, 22 to 13. And then he closes it, Joe Mixon does, with an amazing touchdown run. This is the type of usage, even without the receiving work, Hayden, that we absolutely love to see from the Bengals, who have been going kind of back and forth between their running game and their passing game all season long. So if we
1: remove Derrick Henry from the picture, the running backs that are averaging more half PPR points per game this year, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, then it's Joe Mixon. And the reason why that is, is number one, the Bengals offensive line is a little bit better under the new coaching staff. The Bengals offense is a little bit better than in years past. To me, Joe Mixon looks very good. We're talking about a very physical runner that can actually get east-west a little bit to put his foot in the ground. And his receiving workload has been kind of hit and miss. Um, but he's the goal line back, and he's been super effective on the ground and through the air. And I think that... As the Bengals are kind of kind of switching back and forth with our identity, the one constant throughout uh, the season has been Jamar Chase deep balls, and then Joe Mixon uh, all over the place. I think that right now in this offense, he is
0: prime for borderline top five numbers the rest of the season. I love that we're getting a whole bunch of you know round one running backs, round two running backs that are being huge deciders as we go along throughout the rest of the season. I mean, they bullied. The Las Vegas Raiders up front in a lot of these scenarios. I, I'm still trying to, and we're going to talk about Jamar Chase later on, but I'm still trying to pinpoint exactly what the Bengals are and who they want to be. But we've also seen them win in a whole bunch of different ways, too, Hayden, which, you know, we talk about the Cowboys being a team that can do that. A bunch of others throughout the league that, okay. If the other team is worse in terms of giving up deep plays and and big plays, then boom, we've got Jamar Chase to take the top off. But if they're really poor against the run and maybe their pass rush is their strength, like this past weekend against the Las Vegas Raiders, we're going to ride Joe Mixon for 25, 30 carries. And while it might not look beautiful or pretty, we might not consider them one of the teams that can do that. They've kind of shown that they have, right?
1: Yeah, they have. And to me, it just comes down to when you have – somebody with as much skill as Joe Mixon has. I think that he's still one of the most underrated backs in the league, a full three down player. And we're starting to see more of the explosive plays just because this offense is for the first time functional since he's been around there. So yeah, I think that that round one, two turn, I mean, uh, absolute print fest in best ball. Like that's where you can get Eckler JT, Joe Mixon. All of those guys have been ballers this year. And I think that, uh, you're seeing some of these little wrinkles with this this uh, fake flea flicker, um, and a- at least it's not that that Texas State offensive line coach leading the way for
0: the Bengals. This is such a sweet play. Like you, ever, you wonder every once in a while, and sometimes you see it with read options, and the dogs are running around behind me. Um, you see it with read options that sometimes, oh, instead of giving it, if if he just took it or the play action fake, like the 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 seam would be completely wide open, and instead. Uh, they do give it off and how the big play could be created. Maybe the big play was open completely down the field, but right now, obviously, just spin and a little upfield move. This is so sweet. I love I love this type of stuff.
1: I can say I've never seen that play. And I'm not even sure if it was an intentional or whatever it was, but uh, I said we keep it in the playbook just for just for the fun.
0: Every week, just run it once every week and see if like the production reduces each each eventually that play will get a running back absolutely murdered by a the defensive tackle that he did not see coming, but it worked. It worked this one. All right. We've got a bunch of others coming up too, but let's start off with some bad news on the front of the jets running back, Michael Carter, the last six games, he was averaging 13 carries for six targets. And now he's out for at least two to four weeks with a high ankle sprain that has been considered mild by by some, but we know how serious of an injury that is. Um, Again, 13 carries six targets. He's been eating up. He's been seeing the volume. He's clearly there top running back and now it's going to be split between you know Ty Johnson who's had weeks of seven six and eight targets and Tevin Coleman who was not a factor at all in the receiving game but maybe the preferred runner in this scenario and then now you throw in that Zach Moss is back as the starter and that might you know default them back to where they were early on in terms of throwing their running backs as well.
1: Yeah, I think that Zach Wilson is a downgrade for the quarterback picture. You see what Mike White and some of the other quarterbacks were doing when they're throwing to their running backs as often. Uh, Yeah, losing Michael Carter, RB5 fantasy. There's plenty of work available for Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman. The problem, there's two problems, is number one, neither one of those backs are as good as Michael Carter is. And I think that's, you can make a very easy argument that that is true in both phases as a receiver and between the tackles. And then just the other thing is, they each play defined roles. I would be pretty surprised if Ty Johnson became a between the tackles rusher for 15 carries a game. I'd be pretty surprised if Tevin Coleman went back to that third down role because that's where Ty Johnson has been playing. So now instead of having one primary back, you're having a one a one B situation on a team. That's been uh, the worst team in football on offense. Whenever Zach Wilson has been the quarterback.
0: Think that's really good perspective because so often we look for the backup running back, especially a week where so many backups suck and where the running back position just sucks overall. That okay, who's going to get the volume and who's going to get the touches? It truly might not matter in this scenario. It might be split between two adequate talents on a bad team and a quarterback that doesn't want to or hasn't used them in the past. And I, I think yeah. that that's where where we're landing with this. With if this I chance. was going to rank him, it would be Ty Johnson over Tevin Coleman, but like too- neither. Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin this past weekend, 23 carries for 89 yards against the New York Jets, four targets just for seven yards, but he did find the end zone there. Look, it's never going to be flashy or efficient in terms of the running game for Miles Gaskin because the Miami offensive line is absolutely dreadful. Believe they have the Carolina Panthers coming up this weekend too, a team that was just run all over last weekend. But again, I think so much of that goes back to. You know, who was doing that to them last week versus Miami's been unable to do that to anyone. But, you know, on some level, volume is king. And we've seen Miles Gaskin get it in the receiving game in some instances, like look against the Bucs. And now because of other injuries around him and some inactive players, he's definitely getting on the ground as well. So Salvin Ahmed being a healthy
1: scratch last week was good news for Miles Gaskin. Duke Johnson was elevated from the practice squad, but there was a reason why Duke Johnson did not get picked up throughout free agency and how to wait this long to get a job. He doesn't seem like he's going to be a long-term factor into this equation. So it's just basically miles Gaskin out there. Um, at least until Malcolm Brown comes back, miles Gaskin has been averaging 17.1 expected half PPR points in the games. Malcolm Brown has missed the problem though. It's only 11.9 actual half PPR points because miles Gaskin's limited as a player himself. This offensive line is beyond limited. So this is kind of a a situation where you're, yes, we love the usage, but we all know what this usage entails at best. He's an RB2, but if he catches the right game script, he could catch four or five passes. Um, So that's kind of all you're asking for. I would say he's like a PPR flex
0: right now. Christian McCaffrey has returned to a complete full usage with the Carolina Panthers, and he's such a key piece for the passing game uh, McCaffrey, 10 carries 59 yards, eight targets for 60 yards and a touchdown against the Washington football team. I know that you sent out a tweet and we're going to talk about DJ Moore a little bit later on that the Panthers now trust their quarterback more and like their, their passing rate shows that I think that coincides with Christian McCaffrey getting back to hundred percent health to Hayden, because again, so often he is the critical player. He is the key that the quarterback is reading against the linebacker against the safety, sometimes getting on a vertical route with motion coming as well. He scored his touchdown off of that. So yes, while Cam Newton is better than Sam Darnold and PJ Walker having maybe their most reliable receiver, at least in the short to intermediate game back is truly changing this offense as we go along too. So at the Panthers, they started off pretty pass heavy and then literally basically
1: every single week they've gotten lower and lower and over the last couple of weeks, they were it was just them and the Eagles as 32nd and 31st individual pass rate. That switched last week. I think some of that can be explained by the matchup. Typically, teams are pretty pass-heavy against the Washington defense because they play a lot of soft shell defense on the backside. But I think the biggest thing is when Cam Newton's out there, a lot of it is just going to be little checkdowns. And those option routes out of the backfield for Christian McCaffrey certainly played a role. I thought, to me, we'll talk about this with TJ Moore in a second, I thought that Cam Newton looked pretty effective. He wasn't super explosive, but he looked athletic enough. He was, for the most part, pretty accurate. That one uh, vertical shot was a beautiful touch pass to Christian McCaffrey. I think that was on a four verticals route. Um, The one thing that they don't have right now is any downfield passing attack. And his ADOT was like at five yards. I think that ultimately is going to be good news. You're going to either have open lanes on read option plays for Christian McCaffrey or a bunch of checkdowns. Either way, there's going to be like Christian McCaffrey. To me, it's him and uh, Jonathan Taylor in their own category for the rest of the season. And I thought Christian McCaffrey looked
0: fully healthy and very explosive last week, too. Yeah, he's never going to be a runner who dominates contact, force tackles like, you know, Jonathan Taylor does. But just these creases and these openings that he creates against linebackers. I mean, option routes against him have to be an absolute nightmare. Uh, and I do, I do feel like he's he is back, like you're saying. Part of me wonders if we are going to hit a ceiling with him. Look, we've already seen like a 90-90 game, it feels like, from him this season, too. But they are losing offensive linemen every single week. I mean, Brady Christensen had to go in and play left tackle last week and obviously graded as their top offensive lineman as well, which maybe speaks to the talent that they have.
1: There was a play there. They're using their backup center right now. And it was Cam and shock and Christian McCaffrey right next to him. And this, it was supposed to be a zone read to Cam Newton and the center just, it was such a bad snap. He just snaps it directly to Christian McCaffrey, who then runs up the middle. It's like, this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with, right? With the Panthers. It's going to be the Achilles. heel. I think the offense is going to be better, but you, there is no fixing this Panthers offensive line until the off season. And there's so many injuries. You can't expect anything to get better. It's just going to be Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton as playmakers they're going to have to create by themselves.
0: Yeah, My point in saying that is the rushing ceiling is capped by how bad your offensive line is. And meanwhile, you compare that to the team that they faced this past weekend and the Washington football team and Antonio Gibson who had 19 carries for 95 yards because their offensive line is now bullying people. I mean, he had four runs of 10 plus yards this past weekend two in week 10 against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, that makes it six in two weeks. And this is a player who also missed basically a quarter of this past game, too, after he fumbled inside the red zone. And they went to Jarrett Patterson. They went to J.D. McKissick. I don't know how it's changed to this, but Washington's offensive line is now one that might be hovering around the top team because it's it's letting them, you know, control and and obtain an identity on games that they previously hadn't had for, you know, the last six, eight games before that.
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting with Antonio Gibson in the beginning of the season. The offensive line was actually playing better than what we thought. And then there were some injuries, uh, particularly to the right side of the ball. And I'll, I'll double check for the preview show um, or on Sunday. But I think that they've those, they've gotten those linemen back and that's helped. Yeah. Obviously, the bye weeks helped with Antonio Gibson's uh, shin injury. He's had 24.3 and 14.4 expected half PPR points in the two games since the bye. Still, they he definitely needs leads or the floor is going to be rugged out with them and we never know when that shin's going to act up so he's still to me very volatile as an rb2 um but at least he's shown the ability to put up some higher upside games even if he's still very touchdown reliant because JD mckissick still Uh, They're passing
0: down back. Yeah, he also needs to hold on the ball. I mean, he's had a major, major issue holding on to the ball. And sometimes it's as he's being tackled. Sometimes it's when working through the line of scrimmage. I truly thought he was done for the game because once he was removed from that fumble, he did not play. Jarrett Patterson, Jaden McKissick, both were used. And then I think the first carry coming out of halftime of the first series that they had he must have like got a breather. They must have talked to him during halftime and boom, he was back in there as a starter, and running really, really well. So yes, Brandon Sheriff, Sam Cosme back at right yep. tackle. It's been a such, such a huge difference. And I'm sure when you watch that game or if you have already, Taylor Heineke. I haven't watched it yet. CEH, let's jump to the Kansas City Chiefs. He returned to the lineup as well. 12 carries for 63 yards, two targets against the Buffalo Bills. What stood out to me is he touched the ball for the first three snaps of the game. And, you know, Daryl Williams had been productive in this role, but it seems so much about usage rather than talent. I'm not saying that Clyde edwards helaire is a great back, but I think as a runner, reading blocks, picking up what the yards are blocked for him, which should be a strength of this Chiefs offensive line, he is better off than what Daryl Williams was doing. Yeah,
1: I just think he's better, period, than Daryl Williams. It will be interesting to see how much his 47% snap share was a product of him returning from injury and the game not being that close in the later half of the year? Or when he comes back out of the bye, is he going to be that RB1 top 15 back because he's going to be playing 60, 70% of the snap? So it's TBD. I think that he deserves more love, and I would not be that surprised if this Chief Chiefs offense figures their stuff out on the bye. They run with power, and that's been kind of the ingredient to beating some of these two high shell looks. And I have always thought Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, in the pros, his best attribute is running between the tackles, which is the exact opposite as it was in college, but he's not explosive, but I do think that he is a pretty powerful runner. And I think that uh, down the stretch, I wouldn't be surprised if he
0: had a couple like hundred yard rushing games. We all asked heading into week 11, how the Patriots backfield would be split especially after Damien Harris missed a game due to his concussion. Ramondre Stevenson worked in as a split backfield with Brandon Bolden and was excellent there. Uh, we threw out our theories. Other people threw out their theories of how it you know, could rotate. And rotate is the correct word because every other series they switched off. Damien got the first one, then Ramondre, then Damien, then Ramondre. And just depending on how long that drive went, it's probably why, you know, Rondre Stevenson ended up with 12 carries for 69 yards, had one target. Meanwhile, Damien Harris had 10 carries, 56 yards and one target as well. Almost exactly 50, 50 plus Brandon Bolden throwing in there in like the two minute situation and clear pass, passing down works. So I actually think like on paper, these two backs, I'm talking about Damien and Ramondre, bring kind of different things to the table, but overall you always say this, this is the number one backfield in terms of expected points for the running back position. So while it's like split 40, 40, 20, that can still be productive for at least two of those pieces, especially when we get to this running back hell territory.
1: Yeah. The problem is, is that it's split three ways and I don't like it because we don't know where the touchdowns are going to go. And right. Damien Harris was a touchdown dependent player, even when he was running hot because Brandon Bolden or James White was always doing the, the passing down work uh, like last week, for example, Damian Harris had 5.7 expected half PPR points in his return. And that can easily be way more than next week if the Ramondre drives stall out, but not really loving this situation. It's just like, who's going to have the long runs? Who's going to be lucky enough for those goal line carries? And I think that both have been playing well enough that we shouldn't really expect this to change. To me, I would still rather have Damian Harris because they're still making him the starter. And the upside case would, would be that he didn't even practice that much going into that game. Maybe after uh, a, a mini buy that he's going to have more than 40% of the work. But for right now, the baseline projection is other every other drive for these, these backs and Brandon Bolden playing on passing downs.
0: Yeah, I think it's gotten to a point that they know it, that Ramondre Stevenson has too much wiggle, is too nifty as a runner. I mean, look at these broken tackles to keep him off the field. I'm with you that with Damien. while I do believe early on he was touchdown dependent, I also believe that this offensive line right now is better than it has been all season long. And so, you know, 50 yards for each of those runners is, I think, the floor. Unless they come up against an awesome, awesome defense. But it, it is different than what he was doing previously in, what, weeks two, three, four where it would be like two yard gains, three yard gains, and it was like so much volume of 23 carries for 67 yards and got it in the touchdown. That's why why he got his points. Now he's getting, you know, 10 carries for 56 or 10 carries for, for 69. Um overall, it's not going to change either because this is what's working and it's so good. Uh, but I'm with you. Like if I if you had to ask me to pick one of the two, it would be Damian Harris. And part of me believes that even if it is a Ramondre Stevenson drive, that Damien is the trusted player. In that goal to go territory. But who knows? It can even change week to week because this is the New England Patriots.
1: Yeah. I just think it's going to be like 55 yards. They have a 50 50 chance for a touchdown, and that gets you like RB 27 numbers on average. So I don't know. I was way more optimistic earlier on. I don't like it. That's a three back committee.
0: I just love that they are doing something so different than the rest of the it's working. A couple of teams. It's working so well. It's, it's working. working so well. AJ Dillon got his start this past weekend and saw only 11 carries for 53 yards. Did see six receptions for another 44 against the Minnesota Vikings. We talked about this in the, the instant reaction show that neither the Vikings or Packers rushing game could get going. This is concerning one. That was one of the few starts that we're going to get from AJ Dillon. And two, they just lost their left tackle in Elton Jenkins. It just came out that David Bakhtiari had another knee surgery, so he's not going to be in there. They've already were you know, mismatching certain players at certain positions. And we, again, we know so much of rushing success is based on offensive line success. A.J. Linden is still a monster talent, and we would have expected him to get at least 15 carries in this game. And you pointed out that maybe the biggest surprise – was more and more passing down work, something that he'd been hyper efficient on all season long. But six receptions is obviously a season high.
1: So that last week's game was pretty bullish for like this next week. A couple things happened. He looked very smooth as a pass catcher. And we've seen this in small doses, even like the preseason. And at times last year, he would only get a couple touches. But every single time he's out of the backfield, I always thought he looked pretty smooth back there. That was the case this time. Uh, the they just didn't get near the goal line. It was a bunch of MVS long plays down the field, and he just kind of whiffed and didn't even get a goal line carry. So we know that what what can happen here, um, especially with Aaron Rodgers, he's like making a pretty big deal about this toe injury. If that means that he doesn't want to sit there and scramble and stuff, maybe they say, here you go, A.J. Dillon, go make your money with 25 touches. So I think that um, even though the, the box score wasn't elite, everything about his game visually checked out to me. And when you're attached to Aaron Rodgers, I think that, um, he still deserves this, the same high praise we
0: were giving him uh, coming into last week. Devontae Freeman has taken over the Baltimore Ravens backfield season high, 16 carries for 49 yards. Get your jokes off people. Six targets for 31 yards, even with Latavius Murray back. Devante looks fine. Nothing quite like we saw with like the bowling ball of knives that we've seen as a runner in the past. But again, the Ravens are going to have rushing production and him being kind of the third name along the season that we've seen be the lead ball carrier. Unless an injury happens, it certainly seems like he's going to take it the rest of the way.
1: Over the last month, he is the RB 22 in fantasy usage, the RB 18 in half PPR points. He started last week, played 58% of the snaps, had uh, 16.2 expected half PPR points with Latavius Murray. And that the good news, it's just those two now. There's not that third back. So that gives him a little bit of upside. Um, it's just comes down to how much are the Ravens actually going to run the ball? Uh, last week with Huntley, they ran it more, but obviously when it's Lamar Jackson with all of their playmakers, they've been passing the ball. Um, but I think at least Devonta Freeman is worth rostering. If you are in bi-week hell, you could start him. We always know that Latavius Murray, especially with another uh, week removed from his injury, those could flip back and forth. But for right now it's, it's Devonta Freeman.
0: I mean, I'd rather have Devontae Freeman than any of the Jets running backs now. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, Las Vegas Raiders, nine carries for 37 yards, seven targets for 24 yards against the Cincinnati Bengals. Hey, 16 opportunities. Not so bad, Hayden, but, you know, we've gotten some Kenyon Drake in there. The Raiders as a whole are dropping down a few rungs in terms of their success overall. What do you want to say about Josh Jacobs today?
1: So he's RB 24 in usage, and I think it's kind of surprising because the Raiders have been losing and by losing by multiple scores like during that stretch, and previously he wasn't playing on passing down. He's still rotating, but the fact that he's had four, five, and five receptions in the three losses since the bye week over this span is pretty bullish for Josh Jacobs' floor. He can be effective at least a flex play in either game script now, and we know that like the best a fever dream for the Raiders is build a lead. Darren Waller has eight catches to start. And then Josh Jacob gets two goal line scores and 25 carries. So um, I think that we'll talk about him on Thanksgiving slate, but I think that just the receptions um, we've seen, like you and I on our previous podcast, we're always talking about Josh Jacobs, use him as a receiver. He can do it. We're starting to actually kind of see that a little bit. And I think that's not going to really go away because the Raiders are
0: like looking for dudes to throw the ball to right now. Let's talk about the 49ers backfield. Jeff Wilson had 19 carries for 50 yards. Like the only thing that really didn't work against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, the leading rusher, as we know, was Debo Samuel. Once again, um, they did some really cool stuff. In fact, they ran back-to-back plays out of 11 personnel, but with kind of different alignments and from different formations. And one was a carry, I believe, for Jeff Wilson. The other one was a carry... For, for Debo Samuel. And we saw when Elijah Mitchell was back there, how Jeff Wilson was used as a lead blocker in a lot of ways and Debo Samuel as the leading rusher. I guess like the big question is once Eli Mitchell comes back and is healthy or at least good enough to play, do all of Debo's carries go away? Or does this continue because it's working so successfully and it also might continue, Hayden, because now, well, as previously, he was the only wide receiver out there. Like that could be trusted or pass catcher. And now they have Brent Nayuk and George Kittle in those areas to succeed. So are, are they at their best? Are they at their most dangerous to put Debo Samuel back there in the backfield while still staying in that same personnel grouping? So this is just an opinion, but... I don't think Jeff Wilson's
1: very good. I watched that game. He just doesn't seem like he has any juice left. And he's all he's been battling a ton of injuries. He's just coming back from a very serious injury, and they weren't even sure if he's gonna, gonna, gonna come back to play. I think that's why they got Trey Sermon going a little bit in the later part of the game, and why they had Debo Samuel as like a legit running back. They're not giving him like fly sweeps, they're giving him like legit running back carries, is because they need that explosive element. I don't think that Jeff Wilson's gonna give them that. So I don't know if Eli Mitchell's gonna play this week. But I do know when he's healthy, he's clearly better than Jeff Wilson to me. And I, um, it's like to the point where like I wouldn't be that surprised if Debo Samuel and Trey Sermon and uh, Kyle Juszczyk kind of all kind of split snaps. I thought Jeff Wilson had decent usage, but I think there was a reason why he wasn't productive. And I think a lot of that was just kind of falling on him. And you can kind of see how much Kyle Shanahan misses that Raheem Mostert explosiveness. That, that's It was the
0: exact opposite um, last week in the run game. Miles Sanders, 16 carries for 94 yards versus the New Orleans Saints. Jordan Howard got hurt, is out multiple weeks. Kenny Gainwell became inactive. That meant Boston Scott was the third and then kind of morphed into the second. Running back, even with a fumble, Hayden, Miles Sanders exits as the team's leading rusher. It was so cool to see them have success with this and how they had the success. And they had 30 running plays. Out of eleven personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end on the field. Many times that morphed that morphed into four wide receivers because they, you know, detached Dallas Goddard. And it's kind of the analytics community's favorite thing, where you know they spread you out and then just mash you up the middle. And especially when you have a rushing threat at the quarterback position. I mean, there's thirty running plays out of eleven personnel by far led the NFL last week. They've changed so much throughout the season and now they have figured it out. I just wonder if defenses will try to figure it out by not treating their 11 personnel as a true three wide receiver set. I
1: haven't watched this game yet. Was it like a traditional under center run game or was this no. like a bunch of zone read and just handed yes. the ball up the, up the middle? Yeah. So so that's what's interesting to me is like spread them out. And then you have Jalen Hurts as an effective zone rusher because he's, he's like a legit running back in his own right. Um, But either way, for for fantasy purposes, Miles Sanders came back, started 10.1 expected half PPR points, 46% of the snaps. Those snaps should go up. Jordan Howard was the primary threat to the goal line work. We don't have to really worry about that with Kenny Gainwell, and Boston Scott. So Miles Sanders arrow is certainly pointed up Um, right now. The Eagles, uh, they're sitting at a 36% neutral pass rate over the last month. That is uh, the lowest in the league. So this is going to be a definitely 180 offense, not the pass heavy Eagles. It's going to be a lot of these wide open lanes. And I like this concept of spreading people out and then letting Jalen Hurts' athleticism and Miles Sanders' athleticism kind of win out where they don't have to be reading players that much. Whenever it's Miles Sanders, he can just get up and go because that's his best attribute. He kind of struggles to me with like, the reading offenses or uh, reading spaces and timing, but he's a mega athlete. I think this is like the best suited offense for him.
0: A couple more things there. Uh, No one does this to New Orleans Saints. No one. I mean, in the last decade, they are one of the few teams that have hammered them this much. And I mean, the Eagles, again, it's, it's going to be interesting if it's going to be this type of successful, but Hayden, to your point, it's not just the athleticism of Jalen Hurts. And Miles Sanders, because if defenses start to creep down, then you have a player who's constantly winning his one on ones on the outside and Devontae Smith. So like you have that extra layer on top of it. And if they do run blitzes, then boom, you have tight end leaks or tight end screens to Dallas Goddard, who's very good there, too. So it's almost the perfect personnel to match up with his offensive play calls. It makes you wonder why. Nick Sirianni was doing it the way he did it early on. Like maybe that's how he envisions what a offense should be in the NFL. But I do believe we should give some credit to him now for identifying, okay, I have this strength. I have this strength. My offensive line is back healthy as well. And so we're just going to continue to to run an offense this way. and, And that's why it's so successful. So questionable start, great finish. and Hopefully they can carry this moving forward too.
1: I wonder if they were like, okay, is Jalen Hurts the franchise quarterback? Let's see if he can run the more, a more traditional offense. And if not, we can kind of tinker and then try to win some games down the stretch. But um, I think Jalen Hurts is playing a little bit better. There's still some things to work out, but um, I'm glad they're using him like in the run game because clearly he's, there's only a handful of people on the planet that can do what, what he can do.
0: Right. Because if Nick Sirianni is comfortable designing an offense in this way, then there's not going to be anyone better than Jalen Hurts to run this moving forward, other than like Lamar Jackson, maybe one or two others. But like those aren't possible, right? So it's kind of just up to him and Howie and everyone else. Like if this is what they want their offensive identity to be. I think also the success of it moving forward for the rest of the season can dictate that as well. But if they continue to stack these wins, if they keep putting up, you know, two hundred and ninety rushing yards in a single game, then why question it and why change it and why not just like build around it? That would be a lot of fun.
1: Yep. The Eagles are in
0: the playoff hunt. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. Okay, next name. David Montgomery. Dave Montgomery is back and Matt Nagy really wants to use him on every single down. Like 95 percent of the snaps. Dave Montgomery is back out there despite rookie Khalil Herbert looking awesome in his limited starts this season, Dave Montgomery trots back out there and gets 14 carries for 58 yards against the Baltimore Ravens. Again, coupling that with the previous game, 95% usage for David Montgomery in the Bears' backfield.
1: That was prime my primary note. We'll talk about him tomorrow on the Thanksgiving show, but even though the box score in the actual fantasy usage hasn't been there, the snaps have, and snaps will lead to both of those categories. So I think that David Montgomery is going to be an RB two
0: down the stretch here. Saquon Barkley, six carries for 25 yards, six catches for 31 yards. He returns on Monday night football after getting the softball removed from his ankle. Uh, I really feel like where the giants offensive line and running game is at right now is Saquon Barkley is going to have to hit big plays in order to be successful. And that's so much more difficult coming off, not just this injury, but like, a list of injuries over the last few seasons. We'll see what Freddie kitchen kitchens can do with this offense. Cause that's an OC change, uh, obviously firing Jason Garrett today. Yeah. The
1: figuring out that Freddie kitchens was on the staff and was the new OC was like, all right, how could this get worse? Oh, there we go. Um, to me, Saquon Barkley looked not at fine. 100%. I mean, yeah. fine, but like, he didn't seem like he was like super explosive. And there was that one point later in the game where he kind of, had something tweaked, he came back in, but something to monitor because um, he played or he didn't come back till much later than what we were expecting. We got no report. So this is something that's on my radar for sure. Um, the underlying metrics, 62 percent of the snaps, 8.6 expected half PPR points. We should assume those go up um, against an opponent that's not as sturdy against the run, um, but hopefully he looks a little bit more explosive than what we saw in that first game, but it's the first game back a tough opponent, all that stuff. Um, and they certainly need them. Like Daniel Jones
0: needs, needs to get some checkdowns to get, get the ball moving a little bit. A couple of names at the end of the list. And then we'll move on to wide receivers. Zach Moss, basically not playing anymore. Uh, Quadri Allison played over Wayne Gallman with Cordell Patterson out and got nine carries for 34 yards. And a quick note before we got started here, Adrian Peterson was waived by, the Tennessee Titans after going nine for 40 this past Sunday. So that backfield certainly looks like Deontay Foreman, uh, Dontrell Hilliard and Jeremy McNichols when he gets back from injury as well. Yeah.
1: So, so the name out of that group is the Dontrell Hilliard. He had 15.6 expected half PPR points. He was in the exact third down role that Jeremy McNichols had. Yes. And if McNichols comes back, Your guess is as good as my guess on which one they're going to lean on. I'm going to guess it's going to be a little combination of the three of them. And this Tennessee offense is putrid. And that's why I had the Texans upsetting them last week. I don't think they figured this out until they get Julio Jones back in the lineup after their bye week, especially if AJ Brown misses some time here. This is going to be mostly an offense to avoid. Quietly, this Titans offensive line looks messy all of a sudden. And that was like not the case. And you can't have Ryan Tannehill without the play action. You can't have three bad running backs without uh, with a bunch of backup wide receivers. To me, this offense could be one of the bottom
0: 10 for the next couple of weeks. And with three backs involved, uh, no thank you. Off the top of my head, I believe they play the New England Patriots this weekend. I think the Patriots offensive line smashes the Tennessee defensive line. And the Patriots defensive line smashes the Titans offensive line. Like that is... Give me the Pats. A pretty bad formula coming up. All right, there we have it. There are the running backs for all of you. Appreciate everyone being here. Give us a like and subscribe while you're here. Smaller show, smaller live audience, an intimate audience. Some might want to call it just a couple of days before a holiday, but do your part. Smash that like button. Smash, most importantly, that subscribe button. And let's jump, especially you watching VODs. We appreciate everyone that tunes in afterwards as well. Jump to the wide receiver position. And we start off with a player, Hayden. Been a pretty drastic change in rookie Jamar Chase's production over the last few games. Just from Sunday, let's focus on that. Six targets, three catches for 32 yards, and a touchdown versus the Raiders. He does not have a 20-plus yard catch in each of the last two games after basically specializing in that in the first five or six games Of the season. We talked about it on this very show. I wasn't going to come on and predict when this decline or maybe the better word, when this regression could happen and it's happened. And I think part of that is because the Bengals are never throwing that much down the field. He and, you know, Joe Burrow just had like this mind meld that it was working perfectly and he was making unreal plays. But if like the volume hasn't always been there and then now just like running hot, isn't there either then Jamar chase the rest of the way is going to have much more sporadic production than we saw from him early on. So I'll give
1: you sporadic and I'll give you volatile because a lot of his usage is downfield. And he was nine of 14 on those targets, 20 plus yards downfield in weeks one through seven. Since then he's zero for seven. And that's yep. how this stuff works. I don't care how good you are. Nobody in the NFL ever could sustain deep field production at nuclear rates. So um, it's one of these things where you kind of have to just play uh, how like these volatile moments work. But the good news is, and we're going back to the fantasy usage model here, is now all of a sudden he's the wide receiver two overall over the last month. So at one point I was like, he's kind of a sell high. I I know he's really good, but now he's a buy low if you can try to pull that off. (laughs) Because now he's a wide receiver 27 in half EPR points, but wide receiver two in the fantasy usage model this will even out. He's not going to be nine to right. 14. He's not going to be over of, of seven. He's going to be top three in deep targets. And then we know that he could start hitting on these down the stretch.
0: I actually felt that there was pretty concerning pocket movement from Joe Burrow under pressure. And something that I've talked about in the show multiple times. I mean, he was sacked, I believe three or four times this past weekend on just 11 pressures. They kept running out. And if you notice this, like three or four jet sweeps as well with Tyler Boyd and Jamar yep. Chase. to me, they, that means that they were terrified of protecting Joe Burrow and blocking the edge rushers that the Las Vegas Raiders have because that tries to neutralize you know, the instant upfield impact that those edge rushers and interior linemen might have. Um, it's something to, to watch moving forward. And again, we know that he also dealt with like a slight knee issue during this game, but I even saw it before then. And I, just by the way that they've operated this year, either Zach Taylor doesn't trust his offensive line Joe Burrow completely to stay healthy behind it and like his health moving into the season as well. And the combination of that entire group. So
1: yeah, we didn't see the neutral pass rates stay at those top 10 levels coming out of the bye week Like we had hoped it kind of dropped down to back towards like the average a little bit below average. So something to monitor. I think that's just going to be, it's a very kind of um, matchup driven offense. They can kind of win in both ways. They kind of want to protect Burrow sometimes, but no, they kind of keep. Ha- to can't afford that luxury. So it's going to be kind of up and down, but I think that Jamar chase and Joe burrow are the two constants here, uh, the T Higgins and Tyler Boyds, those are the two like you would rather not have them than have them at this point. They kind of just flip flop weeks. And to me, just they're, they're not nearly as explosive
0: as uh mix and Jamar chase are. Yeah. I mean, this is what 29 attempts for 148 yards looks like it's no deep shots converted, which is, confusing when you have jamar chase and t higgins as talents especially against a vegas defense that was shredded the week before you know just something to think about growing pains very young offense growing yes 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 but you know at one point they were crowned by everyone including me here we go pittsburgh steelers deontay johnson 13 targets seven receptions 101 yards and one touchdown against the chargers chase claypool Nine targets, five receptions, 53 yards, and one touchdown that was totally erased by Ben Roethlisberger, who totally underthrew him when he was wide open by about 10 yards down the field. Um, In any other offense, I am convinced that Chase Claypool could be near superstar status, but it's just not working here. And I actually thought watching that game live that this was almost the best usage we had seen of Chase Claypool all season long, like one of the better games. And this is the only stat line that that could muster, you know, like Deontay Johnson is just so much of a better fit here with what Ben Roethlisberger is at this moment. than Chase Claypool is
1: completely agree. The the two notes I'll add Deontay Johnson, wide receiver four in fantasy usage over the last month, Chase Claypool. If you remove his injured games is the wide receiver eight. Both of them had season highs in expected half PPR points last week. That's what happens when you remove, uh, Juju. Now we have Eric Ebron, who is going to miss a couple weeks here. So um, there, they, the Ray Ray McCloud. I think he's on COVID list, but he was not a big part of the offense. James Washington. It's these two dudes, and that's it. And we know that Deontay is the better fit. I think Chase Claypool will be better long term, but both are good players, and we know that e- e- either one of them could have ceiling games, especially when
0: the defense is super banged up like it is right now. Let's talk about Zarno Mooney. Five receptions, 121 yards. Yes, off 16 targets. That's a lot of gray. Got a score out of it. He had so much juice, made some big plays with the ball in his hands and other plays down the field as well. Some were with Andy Dalton. Some were with Justin Fields. Um, I think, again, we are seeing him emerge as the best pass-catching weapon on the Chicago Bears. I haven't gotten a chance to go back and watch this game, Hayden, Did you go see in the 16 targets? Like how do we see that in the box score and how does it play out in the field?
1: So I did go back and this clip that's on YouTube, the biggest thing with Darnell Mooney is just the speed. And on this screenplay, they had numbers, they got two great blocks, but you can see this burst that he Darnell Mooney has. That is pretty rare. And I think that's why he was the number one target for, for Andy doll. And I think in the second half, after Justin Fields got hurt, uh, Darnell Mooney was uh, had like twelve of the twenty four targets on the team, and most of them were on underneath targets. Um, and I think that to me, when I'm watching Darnell Mooney, a very inconsistent player, you can see the athleticism. You can also see where he's too small. And sometimes when he's fighting through contact, he either yeah. f- falls over, doesn't catch the ball, some of those things. But they're using him in the slot. They're using him in the screen game, where they kind of dilute some of these things. And if Allen Robinson is out, which I think that he's going to be, he didn't practice today on Thanksgiving, a large part of this offense is just going to be quick game stuff to Darnell Nooney, a couple deep routes to see if they can connect with them. Um, he's clearly the best wide receiver. I watched Marquise Goodwin. I mean, man, outside of that one touchdown he had had a brutal game. Same thing with Demir bird to me. It's just Darnell Nooney. And right now
0: he's up to wide receiver nine in fancy usage. Yeah. How they built their wide receiver room is at least on paper, a lot of guys with just speed. Like we mentioned Darno Mooney, Marquis Goodwin, Jakeem Grant, I believe, is on that team. Damir four Berta by, well. by one hundred. Right. That, that it's just a track team. And Darno is easily the most talented on the list. But I'm totally with you that he certainly is far, far from perfect in terms of his lack of physicality, kind of lack of like sand in his boots. Yep. In some ways. But uh, we've seen him manufacture touches and and yep. with Andy Dalton, that might be one avenue for success.
1: He's To me, he's a long-term, he's a number two, a very good number two in a particular role. Right now, he is a number one,
0: and the Bears have no other option, so let's treat him like that for for fantasy for the next couple weeks. Speaking of number one, let's jump to the Carolina Panthers again. We talked about Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore. DJ Moore had seven targets for five receptions and 50 yards and a score this past weekend. I really think like his touchdown reception was supposed to be a running play. I don't know if you saw the center go two or three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Then Cam caught himself, saw D.J. wide open on a slant, and boom, fires it wide open at the middle of the field. Overall, though, the ceiling is capped, is it not? Because they just simply aren't throwing down the field. Again, I think part of that is just how much they rely on Christian McCaffrey to win on those option and those ISO routes. But also Cam's arm just isn't what it used to be. And so D.J. in the short to intermediate game unless he breaks a long play, the ceiling is much lower than it was through those first three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, he just, he's he's going to be fine because I think Cam Newton can get him the ball accurately underneath, but like the ceiling outcomes are just not there. Robbie Anderson's getting a little bit more involved. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey's going to get his. Even when they get to the red zone, there's not going to be probably as many jump ball fades to DJ Moore. So um, right now, the fantasy usage model has him wide receiver 24 over the last month. He's at the actual wide receiver 43. Um, so I think he's more of a wide receiver three, which is super unfortunate because yeah. we know that he is kind of in that Terry McLaurin mold where if you get this dude, a legit passing quarterback, we can see top 10 numbers, but I think that's going to be a storyline that will argue over in uh, 2022 basketball rankings.
0: Yeah. So while I mentioned the first four weeks, this though was better than what he had in the previous three weeks. And yes, so it's, it's, it's been such a difficult year to show faith in DJ Moore because obviously the talent is there and it started off so hot and he was getting even more in zone looks than he ever had in his, his career. But then it just, the bottom fell out because of the Sam Darnold experience. And so now we are just somewhere in the middle and a middle that, again, just doesn't have that much of a ceiling. Michael Gallup. Uh, Michael Gallup might be the lead wide receiver on the Dallas Cowboys for Thanksgiving. The C.D. Lamb situation kind of seems up in the air after he left at halftime with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, Ten targets, five receptions, 43 yards against the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone knows that if you watch that game, one of the first targets, if not the first target, was – an ISO route on the outside that he was wide open for a touchdown and Dak just missed him. Um, I'm a big believer in Michael Gallup. Uh, Very clear that the Dallas Cowboys are as well. I'd be really interested in him on the Thanksgiving slate.
1: 100%. We'll talk about him a ton tomorrow, but the summary is 94 routes, 13.9 expected half PPR points last week. That would be wide receiver two numbers at the very least with CD lamb out of the picture um, It should be the Michael Gallup show for this next week. And I think you're right. They use him in the screen game. They can use him downfield. I think that I was watching for Cedric Wilson, who had a brutal game. Yeah, um, kind Perfect. of just a slot player, not nothing too special. And then Noah Brown, they get out there as a number three receiver. Noah Brown is out there to block. That's it. So this passing game is between Dalton Schultz and Michael Gallup. Maybe they didn't get a, a random explosive play with any of the other guys. But to me, this next game is going to be on the backs of Schultz and Gallup.
0: Yeah. I mean, when Pharaoh Brown is out there, 11 personnel kind of morphs into 12 personnel because he's basically he's an, a big dude. blocker. He is. He is. He was Zeke's teammate at Ohio State too. Um, But yeah, I mean, two wide receiver sets. We once again would expect Michael Gallup to definitely be one of those, even if CeeDee Lamb comes back. All right. Let's jump to Elijah Moore, a player who had a really nice, I believe was at week nine or week 10, one of the two. And then there were questions on what just his snap percentage would be, how much he'd be out in the field because they were always rotating all the Jets wide receivers. Well, we have our answer now, and he is another example of the post by rookie bump, 11 targets, eight receptions, 141 yards and a touchdown against the improved, yes, improved Miami Dolphins secondary. He was allowed to get down the field, win at the top of his route, and create explosive downfield plays. And Hayden, if we had a scouting report for Elijah Moore heading into the season, it was just this. It sucks we didn't see it until week 11, but hopefully we get to carry it for the next few weeks, even though there once again is a quarterback change over to Zach Wilson which the communication and the bond wasn't perfect on the field through his first few weeks of the season.
1: The big thing was the turning point was this last weekend. So I wouldn't feel bad if you didn't start him, uh this on Sunday, but he overcame the flippening of Jamison Crowder and route. He actually ran around 81% of dropbacks. He had a season high 13.5 expected half PPR points and Elijah Moore I think is probably a better slot player long-term, but we're starting to see some of these special moments on the outside. He's testing well in reception perception, and he's testing well if you watch the games. And I think that his analytical profile coming into the NFL was almost flawless. I mean, athleticism, production, draft capital, where he went to school, recruiting, uh, pedigree, all that stuff checked the boxes. I think that um, he's going to be somebody... That's probably in the wide receiver three mix. He's up to wide receiver 27
0: fantasy usage over the last month. But it's with a ceiling because even Zach Wilson will throw down the field. And we know that, you know, Elijah Moore has a a explosive profile. I I wanted to pause it here and start it because while this technically is the outside receiver, it basically puts him into a slot alignment that gives him a whole bunch of the outside of the field to work on. So he's not just... You know, having to be one of those big bodies like Mike Williams, per se, that yep. has to carry and work and have an extra defender that is basically the sideline. Instead, this gives him a whole bunch of different routes that he could run off of. And so stacking Jameson Crowder right behind him with a motion, and then allowing him, boom, to test outside and then work back inside, cross the face of the cornerback and then went after the catch. That is perfect usage here for for Elijah Moore. And I hope we get the rest of the way.
1: What you just explained was the difference between an X receiver and then the flanker spot where you don't have to deal with as much press man coverage because you can kind of tinker with their alignment a little bit. So I don't think Elijah Moore will ever be an X receiver. I don't think that matters. That's why they signed Corey Davis. who can kind of do all that dirty work and battle through this stuff and get Elijah Moore a little bit of the cleaner looks on the other side of the ball.
0: So eager to see what Zach Wilson does, what the differences are there reports coming out that they had to like break down his fundamentals and figure it out from there hired his pre-draft quarterback coach and John Beck to hopefully get him on the right track Uh, there's enough games for us to get a good feeling of what to expect in year two and really if it turns out to be good forget about you know those first handful of starts that we got at the top of 2021 Mike Williams six targets five receptions 97 yards and a touchdown against the Pittsburgh Steelers a little hurdle that he had along the left sideline. Not necessarily, I guess it was a blown coverage, but obviously the Steelers got really aggressive, left him free. And just when Justin Herbert is allowed to throw these bazookas to the outside of the field, when watching games, you know, all through Sunday, then Sunday night football hits, and you just see a live different arm out there, you wonder why it wasn't like that for every single week. Of the NFL season, but we did get it on Sunday night, and especially with Mike Williams.
1: So there's still some concerns with the Mike Williams profile. He's only the wide receiver 38 in fantasy usage over the last month. But the big picture stuff is he's averaging 4.6 uh half PPR points on 12 expected half PPR points on the season. We know Mike Williams can play, we know Justin Herbert can play. We know that this offense has a ceiling. So that's why I'm just gonna keep saying play him and ride with the waves. Uh it's not the perfect spot for him because it's such a low a dot offense. And I think at this point, it'd be kind of hard to ask for that to change too much, but when this offense can get clicking at all this, I mean, they can average the top five most points uh, of any team in the NFL. And there's not a third receiver. It's like Josh Palmer. And these guys just aren't cutting it. And it's just to Eckler Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. And if you want to trust Justin Herbert, like I do, you're going to be playing all these guys.
0: LaVisca Chenault. Probably moves back into the slot with the injury to Jamal Agnew for the rest of the season. Um he had been exported out as the X wide receiver and was not winning there at all. I mean, we just talked about the differences being isolated one-on-one and having to threaten vertically and win on breaks and, and routes. That is not Visca's game. You know, more catches closer to the line of scrimmage, especially in like the the muddy, the high traffic territory over the middle of the field is, is probably better. Just some manufacturer touches. He's a very different profile than Jamal Agnew was who straight line speed. Visca is a power slot, but if everyone or if anyone was going to have a chance of, you know, reaping the benefits of some Visca production, this is the better Avenue for it than what he had been doing.
1: Yep. We can start to dip our toes back into the Visca waters. He did come back into the slot after, Jamal Agnew left last game. We now know that he's going to miss the entire season. So at least we know he's playing in the position that he should go to. And I think it was like Laquan Treadwell came in as the number three receiver. I mean, come on. And Tavon. It's, yeah, and Tavon. Like, give me a break. What year is this? Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be Marvin Jones and Visca. And I think that he has a much better chance. The His like on-off splits between the slot and outside, I'm going to pull him up when we discuss best ball rankings this offseason, it's going to be dramatic, like not yes. even close. Um, so I think we at least can see him in the position that he should play uh, for the rest of his
0: career. Yeah. If he's going to be successful anywhere, which is debatable, it's going to be as a power slot. Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Buffalo bills time. Uh, another team that still has a bunch of questions to answer. We saw many in multiple weeks this year, have spike tweaks, huge downfield plays was one of the most important pieces of the Bills offense. Cole Beasley has had a weird month overall Hayden because of injury ribs. Sean McDermott saying, well, we basically kept him out just so he can heal and be a hundred percent. Where are we at with both of these names? Because it's a passing offense that we wanted so many pieces of in multiple points this year. We have said that, but just hasn't hit there in what two of the last three weeks.
1: Yeah. He at least ran a route Cole Beasley that is on 66% of dropbacks last week. So that's kind of optimistic. Um, They're using a six lineman. They're using the, the Reggie Gilliam guy a little bit second tight end. Occasionally they're rotating in Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis. It's kind of a little bit. Everything can kind of explain the downgrades for Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. I think that both of those two are complete opposites on what type of game plan they're going to excel in. Emmanuel Sanders against man defenses, where he can win over the top, because his ADOT is by far the highest on the team, Then Cole Beasley is the exact opposite zone beater. So this is going to be kind of dependent. And I think that right now, the big problem is, and it happened uh, last week, was they just keep checking the ball down underneath against the cover two stuff. And Josh Allen, instead of sitting in the pocket and then throwing a timing route, he likes to kind of break contain, and then all of a sudden you have a bunch of zone defenders just eyeing in on him, and the ball is not going anywhere. So, I think there's some systemic issues with the Bills' offense, yep. and I didn't think that was going to be the case with the Chiefs because I trust Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I don't trust Day Ball and Josh Allen at the same level. Like it's a little bit different. Super Bowl winners versus a one year wonder situation. They'll be fine. They're still contenders, but I think that there's there's a little bit something to this. this isn't just like. Regression. I think that there's a little yeah. bit of like figuring this offense out.
0: Yeah, I, I think the difference is is the quarterback. We'll leave that there for another conversation. Uh, Bren Nayuk, we spoke about it with Debo Samuel, potentially getting more backfield snaps and that continuing. Uh, again, part of that is George Kittle returning and playing at a great level and Brent Nayuk returning seven for seven, 85 yards and a touchdown. What stands out to you with his usage?
1: So I think he's looking better if you're watching him. He still looks as explosive as normal. There you obviously trust him way more because he's be, he's running around on every single drop back. The problem is he's still the wide receiver 36 in fantasy usage over the last month since Kittle's returned. And that's with the four nineers leading and uh passing EPA per play over that time frame. So it just comes down to a volume thing. Uh obviously Debo deserves touches, the run game deserves touches, George Kittle deserves touches and they're 27th in neutral pass offense. There's some spiked weak potential, but I think that you're asking probably too much to have like a consistent wide receiver two, wide receiver three uh, when everyone's healthy. But the good news is Jimmy G looks good in, in this offense, and Brandon Ayuk is at least on the field. And where you drafted him is like kind of where he's being treated as right now. It's like a
0: wide receiver three flex. Kadarius Tony time, a player that I continue to be unable to quit seven receptions for 40 yards. I mean, this is so vanilla type stuff. It's lining him up on the right side, asking to an outside breaking routes. He can do it. And I think anyone that watched those games can see, he just moves differently than, you know, 99% of NFL players. He turns route running and like the breaks and the, the animations that come with all of that, to now bring that to who he is as a ball carrier, too, with jukes and dead legs and creating space. Issue is he was attached to Jason Garrett. He's continued being attached to Daniel Jones. He stays attached to the New York Giants offense. And so, again, we've seen great spiked weeks, and I think he's a player that can have many more in his future. They're just going to be so impossible to predict because this team as a whole is such a letdown.
1: It is. Uh, he at least had 14.6 expected half PPR points last week, and I think you can start him if Sterling Shepard's out because he was a slot player last game, and obviously that's where Sterling Shepard could play as well. So um, we'll have to depend on the injuries, and I think that the broadcast was saying Kadarius Toney ended his day on the bike because of an ankle or something, some So We'll have to monitor all that my my fear is is that the scouting reports are both going to be right that he is an electric player he has high ceiling but he's going to be hard to trust and like that has been the exact scouting report even going back to training camp when he wasn't even practicing like the first practice he had he didn't have the right size shoes so he couldn't practice and then he was missing time and then he's back on injuries and then he's rushing back too soon like there's a lot of weird parts to
0: this profile i'll push back on that because i think once he's gotten onto the field like the play speaks for itself and he's trustworthy there. Um, Now the production certainly has not been consistent, but I think every time you see him go out there, you ask him to like beat his man one-on-one or get the ball and make someone miss. He can do all that stuff. And so like if what you're predicting for how he wins on the field is consistent, then, then that is a trustworthy player, but the usage and who he's attached to and the team he's attached to makes that a complete mess and frustrating frustrating.
1: i'm very curious i'm very curious to see what this giants team does this off season if they have a quarterback change they have four wide receivers that they kind of are committed to right now it's very curious to see what they're going to do but yeah Mm -hmm. i agree with you whenever canaryx is out there he looks like a legit playmaker where you have to just like keep scheming him touches yes um and my scouting report i look back just to see what i had him out my comp for him was was a minus McCool Hardman like an actual good version of that type of player, and I think that's kind of where we're we're trending towards right now.
0: Talk about Rondell Moore. Just a couple more left here. Uh, Rondell, yes, got eleven targets for fifty-one yards, as everyone on YouTube can see here. The A dot was negative one point five. Uh, it was all of Chase Edmonds' receptions or extended handoffs. None of the stuff up the middle. There was no you know, traditional running back usage a la Debo Samuel. But so much of this, again, with his 11 receptions, is the reason why Colt McCoy got up to 44 passing attempts in this game. Um, As the Cardinals get healthier, as Kyler Murray comes back, I would wager that this usage evaporates because really I'm sure that this usage was mainly just to put training wheels and hold the hand of Colt McCoy because Rondale can make someone miss in the backfield or one or two yards down the field. And hopefully that creates explosive play. And if not, it's just again an extension of the running game that can get you to a second and four rather than a second and nine in much more manageable situations for your backup quarterback. It's so like, what do we do with this? Like, I mean, no, I, I,
1: I hope it, I hope this isn't a long-term situation and this is exactly kind of how he was used at Purdue as well. It's so like everything that's not, this is a projection. And I think that we're gonna have a lot of discussions um, about his uh, actual ceiling in fantasy next or in this off season. Yeah. Because I was looking at a uh, PFF and they have like qual like qualifiers. He, if you run this many routes or whatever uh, there was 129 wide receivers in my sample, 128 of them have an eight over 5.5 5 yards. And then there's Rondell Moore at 1.5. I mean, this is they're he, calling him a wide receiver is it's like not true. mislabeling yeah. him. Yeah. So I don't know. You need air yards and you need downfield targets to be a fantasy asset. And I hope this
0: isn't like he's just our screen guy and that's it. It's kind of like in terms of manufactured touch player, like what Ty Montgomery was before he switched over to running back in some ways. I guarantee you from Cardinals beat writers or team site writers in training camp in mini camp, we're going to get a blurb on, Hey, Rondell Moore is winning one-on-one routes down the field and beating man coverage. And yep. if that's the case then you know his ADP is drastically going to rise. But I don't even know if we have a large enough sample with him versus man coverage because it's all just scripted manufactured stuff. Like these these aren't this 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 can't qualify, yeah. you know.
1: Sports uh, uh Sports Info Solutions like as of like 2 weeks ago, uh he was dead last out of 120 qualifiers in yards per out run versus man coverage. He had 1 yard on 29 routes and that's like a little bit dated um but everything is just the screen game so it's worst case scenario and i think that is, I, is like the lavisca chennault usage where we had the preseason stuff everyone falls for him but he's just a slot player and like that's keeps the ceiling intact the difference is like i think like the this rondale moore stuff is special talent yeah and like that's the difference we're like i always want to just like throw these type of players away and like not even think about him. If they beat me, they're probably going to beat me as like a wide receiver three. Um, The difference is like, well, this guy moves like a 99th point nine percentile athlete. Right. So I don't want to completely write him off, but the usage has to change at some point. Right.
0: Hopefully it does. Because like you said, he's, he's such a, such a fun player to watch. Okay. We close out today's show with Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yes. Mr. Better and best ball himself. And we got our moment from this year, a 75 yard touchdown to answer a Minnesota Vikings touchdown. Um, You mentioned Aaron Rodgers is dealing with the toe issue. Devontae Adams balled out one-on-one, matching what Justin Jefferson put out out there. Uh, But MVS is emerging as that number two pass catcher. Is he not, Hayden?
1: He has. He had a season-high 14.1 expected half PPR points last week. So many of these were just like, 20, 40 yards downfield. And that's clearly where he wins and nobody else on the offense wins like that. Like Devontae Adams can, but MVS is a speed guy. And Alan Lazar didn't play last week. I don't know what his status is going to be for this next game, but MVS should be a full-time player. And it's the exact same usage that he had last year. And I think that uh, he's either getting you zero points or he's getting you 20 points. And I think on average, he's going to be a wide receiver for, And I think that he can play a little bit better than most people um, think. Like, it's a hard – it's a hard to catch those passes when you're running that fast downfield near the sideline and everyone just wants to keep writing him off. And he'll – I can promise you he'll have another 100 yards and a touchdown game down the stretch here. Uh, Your your guess is as good as mine as when it's going to come, but that's why I play a little best
0: ball. And as for tight ends, uh, we're going to tell the people to go check out the fantasy blueprint – excuse me, the fantasy usage model over on underblog.underdogfantasy.com because we both need to get out of here, you know? Absolutely. We both need to do that. I appreciate everyone that is here. You, Tony, you, One Rock, Ming Han, CT Bays, some new people along the way today. We will be back for an extra special show tomorrow. Yes, Wednesday, probably around 1230 Eastern. Just be on the lookout on the YouTube channel for all that. And as always, this show, that show, all the shows are in your podcast feed and look out for a little bonus that we have possibly coming up for all the existing users on underdog fantasy. So just peep, peep the Twitter feed as well and go play, go play battle Royales on Thanksgiving day. Some really fun games, some interesting strategy that we're going to talk about here tomorrow. All right. That's going to do it for us for Hayden. I'm Josh up the villa. Everyone talk to you all soon. See ya.